0: This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. We we'll wrap up our series of Going Deeper this morning, where we're aiming to deepen our relationship with God in an intimate and in, in a non legalistic way. The first week we looked at going deeper in our delight. As we delight in the Father, the Father delights in us. We ought to experience Him through delighting in Him. Last week we looked at our going deeper in identity. Our purpose is found through our identity. We are a chosen race set apart from God for His glory. And this week we'll cover a topic that either prevents us or helps us from going deeper in our relationship with God, a topic that is often misunderstood and often misdefined. It is our spiritual maturity. Right, who likes to be called immature? Someone was scratching their head, but I don't think you were raising your hand. Right, I've never received a Hallmark card saying congratulations on your spiritual immaturity. Just thinking of you and your immaturity, I've never Received a card like that, right? Even when a child comprehends the definition of immaturity, the child will refuse to accept it. No, I'm not immature, you're immature. That doesn't happen downstairs, just. Uh... The author in our text this morning does not hold back to the readers of Hebrews. When we think of maturity, it's interesting of who we think of or what we think of, right? And maybe someone through a physical appearance visualizes maturity. A man or a woman who physically appears to have it all together in life. We might go to the intellectual scale solely. Someone who is intellectually superior than most. Through biblical literacy or theological knowledge, we may define this person as mature. We may associate maturity as success. Someone who is winning in the Christian life, in the corporate life, in the family life. One who would label themselves as a good Christian, having it all together. The world defines mature as projecting a character that is not flawed and close to perfection, doing all the right things at the right time, regardless of what's going on in here. As long as the physical appearance, everything, all the actions that you're doing is right. And through the Word and through the Holy Spirit, I pray that our hearts would move in a direction where the Word defines our definition of spiritual maturity. And it's this, it's striving towards the character of Jesus. It's striving towards the character of Jesus who showed us what meekness looks like, who showed us what humility looks like, who exemplified perfect love for us. Worldly maturity and spiritual maturity are contradicting to one another, you can say. Right? Worldly maturity promotes your independence, which is the primary factor that determines your level of maturity. The better you hold it all together the more mature you are. Spiritual maturity is when your dependence is not found in yourself, but upon the one who truly holds it all together perfectly. Spiritual growth and maturity occurs when we become more dependent on God, not less. And so our title for today's sermon is this, Deeper in Our Spiritual Maturity. Deeper in Our Spiritual Maturity, and we're in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. And uh, in order to understand spiritual immaturity, we look at these four four verses and we look at three questions. Uh, What causes spiritual immaturity? What is the problem with spiritual immaturity? And then how do we grow in our spiritual maturity? And what I want to take away, what I want you to take away, our big idea. I want you to take away everything that I've said and everything that I'm going to say, but also this is our big idea as well. But it's this, growing in spiritual maturity requires practicing obedience to the Word of God. Growing in spiritual maturity requires practicing obedience to the Word of God. Let's look at the first question. What causes spiritual immaturity? What causes Spiritual immaturity. Let's look at the text, chapter 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I yelled that one part. two. This section here starts with a new discourse and goes into chapter 6. Right? Chapter 6 is connected, but our time here. We'll zoom into chap- the end of chapter 5, and we'll hit on chapter 6 for a little bit. The author calls here for our faithfulness to be found in Jesus, the great high priest who comes after the order of Melchizedek. And the author here is expositionally expanding on the teaching of Christ. Right he here, though, he takes a time out in this next session to ad- address the audience here through a firm warning. See, many of his hearers have not grown enough spiritually to grasp this explanation. So he says, about the purpose of Christ's incarnation, the function of his priesthood, and the meaning of his perfection to all all of us. About all of this, verse 11 talks about this. He says, we have much to teach about Christology, but it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain, not because the complexity of the topic But because there is an issue here, the issue is that you have become dull of hearing. The phrase isn't commonly used in the New Testament. In fact, it's the only time used in the New Testament here. And it means this, it means sluggish or lethargic. The phrase translated literally says, you have become sluggish in the ears. I'm sure we've all felt sluggish before. Or maybe even right now, that's why we brew some good coffee here at Redemption. So we are not sluggish when we come in. There's valid reasons of feeling sluggish due to a lack of sleep, lack of uh, good diet, lack of exercise, a high level of stress. But regardless of the cause of the sluggishness, we all want to do the same thing as a result. Stay with me. What do we want to do? Nothing. Thanks for saying that with me. If you said nap, that also counts. You want to do nothing, right? Being sluggish in the ears means becoming spiritually lazy. Notice the text indicates, though, that they have become dull of hearing. They became dull of hearing. This reveals something to us, doesn't it? This, isn't, this issue wasn't due to people being naturally dunce, meaning they were not intellectually deficient. They have become spiritually lazy. They have become numb to God's word, meaning they regressed in their maturity because of not being willing to actively listen and act on the truths that they heard. And this led them to being unreceptive, being closed-minded, being unwilling to be renewed in our mind and our hearts. One commentary says it like this, the problem was an acquired condition characterized by an inability to listen to spiritual truth. Right, listening to spiritual truth is not just attending church services on Sunday and just sitting through a service, but it's listening and understanding and obeying it in here and out there. Right, so what causes it? What causes spiritual immaturity? Immaturity. The cause of spiritual immaturity is when the word of God is heard, but a route of disobedience is maintained, leading to an unwillingness to hear. I'll say that again. The cause of spiritual immaturity is when the word of God is heard, but a route of disobedience is maintained, leading to an unwillingness to hear. When we repeatedly choose not to obey the word of God, the word of God does not manifest in our hearts and that results in an untransformed heart. A spiritual immature heart is an idle heart. However, a spiritual mature heart is a heart that is willing to grow through the transformation work of the Holy Spirit. It is a changing heart. It is a soft heart. It seems to me, not sure about you, but there seems to be a lot of Christians living lives of untransformed hearts. Quick story when I was uh, pre dating my wife pre marriage. That's just a confusing way of saying. I was talking to her. <laughs> I was wanting her to date me. And remember, we were walking around Woodfield Mall because, you know, that's what the kids do back then and they still do. Like, what are you supposed to do? Just walk, right? I don't want to buy anything. But I was sort of trying to convince her that, hey, we should start dating. And I was trying to tell her, you know, I'm, I think I'm ready. I'm ready to start dating, I'm mature enough and the conversation went along for a while and I remember her telling me something that still sticks with me today. She doesn't remember it. right? I asked her. She's like, what? <laughs> but I remember it. She said something along the lines of you can take the worst person in the world who is willing to, most willing to change even that person will be ready. Right? That person will be ready if they're most willing to change pretty good. Pretty confusing at the time. Like, are you calling me the worst person? Is this a yes or a no? <laughs> what are you trying to say? But it all worked out. So if you're not willing to adhere to the Word of God, then you're not willing to be changed by the Word of God. How can we expect change in our lives if we do not desire it? If we want to go deeper in our spiritual maturity, we must be hearers of the Word so that we may be obedient to the Word. We must be willing to be transformed by the Lord, and we do this by choosing the path of obedience with the pure motive so that God can transform our hearts to be like Jesus. That's what it means to be spiritually mature, to be more like Jesus. We're all capable of regressing in our walks with Jesus. So we ought to test ourselves and evaluate ourselves to ensure that we truly are growing in the way of Jesus. And ask something else. This leads us to our second question. What is the problem with spiritual immaturity? What's the big deal? Why are we talking about this? What's the problem with spiritual immaturity? Let's look at verse 12 and 13. Follow along. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. At one point, the readers have began to eat solid food early on, but now they are in need of going back to milk. And just like an infant needing milk before solids. It's very ironic because Caden starts solid this month. Pray for us. The church here was taught the basics of God's truth so they would continue to grow in their understanding of who God is so that they may live out their understanding. Where the people here ought to be teachers, they in fact needed to be taught again. And the word teachers here is not used as the office of teaching, but it means mature believers having the capacity to teach new believers. The problem with spiritual immaturity is that it regresses doctrinal understanding which leads to an inaccurate application of God's word. The problem is that it regresses under understanding, so we cannot live out God's Word if we're not understanding it correctly. That's the problem. And so what does that mean to us today? That our walk with God is moving in a direction. It's either growing in delight and understanding and satisfaction and application, or it's regressing in all those things. And this happens over time, not just in a moment Uh, verse 12 mentions the basic principles of God Jewish converts or Hebrew Christians were given the basic principles of God's truth that's what it means when it says the oracles of God in the text the early Hebrew church would proclaim these essential foundations of God's word before being baptized and accepted into the church In other words, this what had to be understood before the conversion took place of Judaism to Christianity in this time. And these elementary doctrines of Christ are expounded in chapter 6 as the text says we need this to go on to maturity. And so we'll briefly take a glance at these principles that were written to the Hebrew church. The first one is the understanding of repentance from dead works. The understanding from repentance from dead works. Right? It means turning away from the works of the law that promoted a false self-righteousness. Meaning not looking to the works to save you. Not looking in yourself to save you. But repenting away from that. Repenting away from your own sin which leads to death. Works alone leads to a self-righteousness. A false self-righteousness leading to a false self Self-salvation. The second one is connected to the first one. Is this. Faith toward God. Faith toward God. Repent from meaningless dead works and have faith towards God. Repentance is joined with faith, which starts a personal relationship with God. Right? And this isn't a to-do list. If anything... It's a, it cannot be done by us list. Hebrews says, Faith is the assurance of things, hope for the conviction of things not seen. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that we, so what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. See, Our faith in God allows us to grow in our understanding, regardless of who we are. Salvation is found through repentance and faith. And the first two principles provided the essentials of the doctrine of salvation, saved by grace. Thirdly, instruction about washing. We're really good at we've been become really good at this since COVID. It's not washing of hands, though. It's translated in Greek as baptismos. It refers to the teaching of the difference between the Jewish cleansing and purification rites to Christian baptism. Baptism is commanded by Jesus. It's a public identification with Christ by proclamation. It is a visible sign of our symbolic death to sin with our new life in Christ. Baptism is not needed for salvation. But baptism is a response of being a disciple of Jesus. Our salvation is found alone. Though baptism symbolizes our new life, the washing of the Holy Spirit during conversion is what creates our new hearts. Fourthly, laying on hands. This could mean a few different things and it's often found in the book of Acts in the early church. It's correlated with healing and praying and commissioning and empowering through, uh, to ministry or to a service through the Holy Spirit. And we may still do this right, in the church. We're laying hands on each other not to create magic or, uh, or make something special happen. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we may be asking for His strength over a certain circumstance. I seen this morning someone being prayed over and touching that person. We're not asking something to be done through our own power, but we're asking God who is able to do it through prayer. The third and fourth principle provided a doctrinal understand, understanding of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how we ought to respond to him. Fifth, the, the resurrection of the dead. Uh, this focuses on our future hope. A new covenant is in place under the name of Jesus, name above all names. He is the center of this teaching. For Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The gospel is our source of hope. That through faith in Christ, we may have eternal life and spend eternity with our Savior. Not through being a good person or outweighing your bad works to your good works, but our hope, our resurrection is valid and stands because of the resurrection of Jesus from death. Lastly, eternal judgment. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We will all be judged. We all have a final judgment of the one who truly is the true judge. These last two principles provided a doctrinal understanding of eschatology, the theology of the end times. And these doctrines all pointed them to a person, not just a teaching. It was the elementary doctrine of Christ, as it says in chapter 6. Though this was the beginning of their understanding of Jesus, some people in the church here never went beyond the elementary doctrine. Others, even worse, were regressing, meaning they were forgetting these truths, which meant they were not living it out. How can we be obedience to God's Word if we're not in it to be reminded of it? One commentary puts this into context for us. It says, uh, the Hebrew Christian social environment made it easy to slip back. Because whereas pagan converts, apostasy was so obvious, a Jew who was sliding back to his old faith. Was less apparent. It was possible for Hebrew converts to yield gradually to hostile pressures from the old life and give up more and more of their distinctiveness of the new faith without much notice. And some were doing just that. Our eyes must be fixed on Christ for us to continue to grow spiritually. But why? But why ought we to desire to grow in our pursuit of Jesus? Why is this a better way? Why does this matter? My goal is not to be a good Christian. You point me to a good Christian, I'll point you a definition that says good and Christian. Now, there's Jesus, and then there's us. But Christians are not defined by them upholding moral principles alone, but Christians are defined by who they follow, Jesus Christ. And the goal of spiritual maturity deepens our relationship with God through complete surrender and dependence on God. It allows us to gain experiential knowledge. It allows us to delight in our relationship with Him. It allows us to find satisfaction, purpose, purpose. Allows us to know Jesus and see how much He loves us. Allows us to receive grace upon grace that God the Father extended through his son by sending him down. To die a death we deserve. The goal is not to more, know more so that we know more. The goal is to seek out truth in his word so that it may change our character to be more like Jesus. That's what we want as a church. If you go to our website, you'll see in big letters right away, helping more people know Jesus and to be grow like Jesus. In order to do that, we must grow in our spiritual Maturity, right? We've been talking about immaturity. Let's talk about maturity here. Let's look at the third question. But how do we do this? How do we grow in our spiritual maturity? How do we grow in our spiritual maturity? Let's read verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. A nursing baby has no capacity to discern what is right and wrong. But solid food is for the mature, for those who comprehend the teaching about righteousness and who practice it. But genuine growth depends on an accurate understanding of God. And it comes from solid food from the Word of God and its application is evident through the fruits of the Spirit. The text says that spiritual maturity allows us to discern and distinguish between good and evil. It's always a good time to know the difference between good and evil, right? Man, especially in the world that we're living in right now, where truth is diluted, where truth is inverted, As followers of Jesus, it's essential to have the ability to discern what is right and wrong. It is essential to distinguish between good and evil from what's from God and what is not from God. It may not be as obvious as we think. Spiritual maturity allows us to discern what is good and evil. One commentary adds that spiritual discernment is having the spiritual capacity, the spiritual perception, the spiritual sense of right and wrong. However, we're still faced with the question how do we grow in spiritual maturity? How do we grow? This capacity, as the text says, to discern is said to be trained by practice. I'm talking about practice, practice, practice. Practice what, right? What are we supposed to be practicing to be spiritual mature? This training is accomplished through practicing obedience. One pastor says, "This the issue isn't a lack of knowledge, but a lack of practice." Through obedience, we grow into maturity in order to be able to take in solid fruit. The pathway to Christian maturity isn't just to become a more educated person, but a more obedient person. The cause of spiritual immaturity is being sluggish in the ears. But we grow in spiritual maturity through practicing obedience in the Word of God. And in order to know the Word of God, we can't be sluggish, but we have to be attentive to the voice of God. We need to be willing to listen to the Word of God. We grow through our willingness to learn, hear, and obey from His Word. And it's something that we must prioritize seriously when we practice in our day-to-day decisions. We'll all have opportunities to be obedient to the Lord. Obedience to the Lord doesn't always make you look good, it doesn't always make you feel great inside. It might bring division in relationships, it might make you look like a fool to the world, it might cost you something in your career, in your family, in your group of friends. But obedience to the Lord always, every single time, honors the Lord. So let me ask you a difficult question this morning. Have you grown in obedience to the Word of God? Have you grown in the obedience to the Word of God? And I want to break this question down a bit more, a bit more specifically, so that we can all examine our hearts this morning. Let me ask you this. Have you been listening to the Word of God? Have you been acting upon the Word of God? This last one's really important. Have you been changed by the Word of God? Are we letting the Word of God change us? That's what this book does. It is the living Word of God. My hope for the series is that we would desire to grow deeper in our relationship with God so that we would taste and experience His goodness. That we would go back into just loving our Father in Heaven in a deeper and delightful way. I don't want anyone leaving here today feeling defeated, feeling pretty, uh, pretty beat up, feeling like this is unachievable, or feeling ashamed. Convicted, Yes. But well, those other things, no. Because we don't achieve maturity by ourselves. I'm not telling you to go out and work harder to improve yourself. We will if God permits. Which is a reminder that our desire to grow comes with a desire to be dependent and directed by God. We turn to God in full dependence. Dependence. See why we could leave here this morning with hope. It's not because of our disobedience, but because of the obedience of Jesus. Hebrews 5 8, 9 says this Although he was a son, he learned obedience. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He became the source, him alone under his name, he became the source of salvation through his obedience. Now, that is good news, that is the gospel, that is the hope for us. Jesus lived a perfect life with no sin. He is fully God. So he is all-knowing, but he is also fully human. Through his life, the text said, he learned obedience. What does that mean? He got to directly experience what it costs to maintain that obedience. To maintain that obedience Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how obedient Jesus was. Jesus is. And because of his obedience, he died for us. But three days later, he walked out of that tomb proving his identity, proving his perfect obedience, proving that death cannot hold him. And he has ascended into heaven and is waiting to return again for complete redemption. That's why we can be hopeful. See, Christ's perfect obedience allows us to grow in obedience and not to have perfect obedience perfect obedience will never be obtained by us. Christ's perfect obedience allows us to grow in obedience and not need to have perfect obedience. That's good news. But let me ask you this question in a different way this morning. Are you willing to grow in obedience to the Word of God? Are you willing to grow obedience in the obedience of the Word of God? Are you willing to listen to the Word of God? Are you willing to act on the Word of God? Are you willing to be changed by the Word of God? Are you willing? It won't make you feel great sometimes. It won't make you want to talk to people, might make you look like a fool or make me, there's some shame in there of people finding out who you are or telling somebody about it. But through our willingness, we get to honor the Lord. This is how we grow in our obedience. We get to practice it. And my prayer is that you would say yes to this question and be attentive to what God is working in your heart right now. Don't ignore the moment, but listen to the Spirit. Act and be transformed by the living Word, the Lord, by the living God of the universe. He's always working. We just got to let Him work in our hearts. It's a difficult task to be obedient to the Word, but it is worth it. Because of the song we just sang, Jesus is better. The way of Jesus is better. Whatever God is putting in your heart right now, it is worth pursuing Jesus through obedience. Jesus, he paid it all. My favorite song. All to him, including our obedience. Not a perfect obedience. We can't offer that to God. But that's what he has given to us. All to him, including our desire to grow in obedience, we owe. Christ's perfect obedience allows us to grow in obedience and not need to have perfect obedience. Let us grow in our obedience as a response to what Christ has done to us. Take a moment and pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.